there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. Hey, Tom, we have a tough SOB on this show today. He's a big defenseman. Okay. And he inspired good night Jim Kite. We got Jim oh, Kite today. Jim, me, oh, Kite. Geez. We've met each other before on the ice, but we've never actually talked to each other. So it's great to meet you. Nice to meet you, Tommy. So where did you grow up then? Where is home? Ottawa, Ontario. Okay. That's where you, you grew up there? Yeah. Grew up, uh, born and raised, and then returned afterwards as well. So those that don't know, uh, they're listening to us. Uh, Jim, do we say that you're legally deaf? Is that correct to say it that way? Yeah. So I'm the only uh, legally deaf player in the league. So that means uh, that has ever played in the league. So that means that you need to have a, uh, a hearing loss in both ears. And that it has to be your best year cannot be better than a 55 decibel loss. So I'm considered to have a profound hearing loss. I'm considered profoundly deaf. Right. Uh, I wear two hearing aids. And uh, they're pretty small, but they're a little bit bigger and their you know, technology getting smaller and smaller, but the right. most powerful hearing aid you can buy. And the next step for me is a cochlear implant where I get a magnet put into my the back of my head and so forth. But I'm not there just yet. Wow. But I have a, uh, uh, I read lips and um, sometimes I heard the whistle on the ice and sometimes I didn't. So <laughs> you, you pick and choose what you wanted to hear. There you go. I've done that myself too. So yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of guys that do that. Yeah. yeah. So were you born that way? Yes, I was. So I come from a family of five boys and one girl. My dad and all the boys are uh, hearing impaired or legally deaf. Like when growing up, I always said that I was, uh, particularly in hockey, I said I was just hearing impaired uh, because I didn't want to give anybody an excuse not to play me, to think that I couldn't hear very well. I could still hear some, but uh, the truth was that I I couldn't hear a lot. So... uh, but I got by by reading lips and doing a lot of different things that some other players I understand with good hearing uh, didn't have to do. Right. Like you could hear, going back to the puck, I understand good player, uh, players with good hearing can hear the skates in the ice behind you. I didn't have that luxury. Wow. So uh, when you play in, in junior hockey and certainly in the National Hockey League, they want to clean the glass on the inside and the outside of the plexiglass, right? So that the fans have, have an unobstructed view of the, of the play and the action that's going on. But I was going back for the puck. Uh, I would look into the glass and see a mirror-like reflection to see where the forechecker was off my right shoulder or my left shoulder. And uh, there's a lot of different things that I did. Another thing is um, particularly I remember vividly uh, playing in Edmonton um with the winnipeg jets i'm on the offensive blue line and uh, back in our day the, the the home team wore the white jersey 
And um, I remember I subconsciously counted all the time, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, making sure that there were five white jerseys plus the goaltender, obviously, wow. Wow. Uh, in front of me. Right. And then one, two, three, four. Okay. Where's that fifth player? And sure enough, Glenn Anderson was trying to sneak behind me to get a, get a breakaway pass. Wow. My bench is yelling at me like crazy. I couldn't hear them, but I just knew that things didn't add up in front of me. And right. so uh, I just knew that something was going on and I looked behind and there he was. And so I counted constantly, subconsciously, making sure the five players were in front of me. I used the glass. I taught the goaltenders to put their arms up in the air if there was going to be icing uh, or, and if they're looking up the ice, they're, they're, you know, most of the color commentators these days are, are goaltenders. So they've watched sure. a lot of hockey. Yeah. They're looking up the ice. They can see what's happening and they can point to one way or the other as to which way I might want to turn with the puck. Wow. That's Things incredible. Like, yeah. yeah. And then I had to teach the coaches as well. A lot of coaches, they would go onto the whiteboard and they'd start scribbling on the whiteboard and, uh, and talking at the same time. Right. Right. To me, I heard them, but it was like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. I couldn't understand what they were saying. So I would actually teach them right on the board, then turn and face the team, and then explain what you just wrote on the team. Right. Yeah, right. I had to do that with teachers in school. I had to do that. So it was a lot of self-advocacy that you needed to do. Right. And, I, and I learned that from my mom. Because growing up, the school board wanted to send all five boys to the, at that time, was called the Belleville School for the Deaf and Dumb in Belleville, Ontario. And uh, now it's called the Whitney School for the Deaf in, in Belleville. But my mom fought the school board and she said, I want my boys to be integrated into the school system. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm oral today is that I, I if I went, went to Belleville, I'd be a signer. I know how to sign a little bit and it's an absolutely beautiful language. It really is a beautiful language. Uh, it's just that I'm a product of my environment. And uh, my mom's 86 years old today and still on Sunday night dinners. When we see her, she would constantly uh, correct everybody on the table in the way to speak properly, wow. enunciate clearly. And uh, so that's one of the reasons why I'm considered to be oral deaf. Right. That's amazing, yeah. right? So that she's that strong. Like, instead of feeling sorry for people, like, she's going to say, no, you're not going to be feeling sorry for yourself. You're going to go out there and act like everybody else, right? Oh, absolutely. So my dad was a, was a great athlete and uh, he was um, he was the athlete of the half century at St. Francis Xavier University in Nova Scotia, where he grew up. Wow. And uh, so he was he was he was my role model growing up and he went on to become a dentist. But he, he said to us, you may have a handicap, a challenge, but you're not you're, but you're not disabled. Right. In a sense that it's don't think don't be identified by your disability. Wow. And uh, if you, you know, work hard, I come, I have a presentation that I do. I do some corporate speaking and I call it the five P's. It really comes down to perspiration, positive attitude, preparation, perseverance, and passion. Wow. And if you come up with those things, then uh, you should be successful in whatever you try to pursue. That's very cool. You know, I'm thinking about, like, as you're talking, I'm thinking about being on the ice in the NHL and how much talking is going on, especially, especially between defense partners, right? So you're not oh, even... Yeah. Yeah, you're not really able to do that. I mean, it's a, it's motions, right? Oh yeah, if you, like your your viewers, if you go to a, an NHL hockey game and you're close to the ice, you can hear all the yeah. talking on the ice. The higher yeah. level of team sport that you play, the more important communication comes. And yeah. so I compensated by I did all the talking. So oh. I I was a defensive defenseman, 
And uh, I knew the systems inside and out. I knew them almost better than the coaches. And, uh, you know, you, you keep it simple as a defenseman. You go you go back for the puck. Option one, you look for the ringer. Option two, you look for the second option. Not the option three, you eat the puck or it's off the glass and out. Right? So, but um, I did all the talking. I was very, very positional. And I made sure. Yeah. Now, one of the defense partners I have is Mary Marwa. <clears throat> excuse me, Mary Marwa in, in Winnipeg. And he would scream at me. <laughs> and uh, I would be able to hear him uh, and everybody else in the rank heard it too. But uh, oh, for the funny. most part, very positional and I did all the talking. Right. So as a kid growing up then, how much did you have to face uh, when you went to try out for teams? Well, <clears throat> that's the thing. Um, uh, my dad became uh, getting involved in my minor hockey. There were some coaches that just didn't want to deal with with me, I had one. Yeah. Uh, I ended up getting cut in May in uh, in um, in my first year Bantam, and uh, even though I was the captain of the year before in the team, this new coach oh. came along and uh, he ended up cutting me. Oh. And uh, you know, eventually, I ended up getting back on the team, but it was I don't think he really wanted to deal with somebody like myself. And oh. um, and maybe he was just trying to knock me down a, a notch or two, and he ended up calling me back, but. But uh, my dad became the uh, the managers of teams, and uh, you know, based on, I got a story to tell you about my my draft year sure. in junior, and uh, so I got drafted by the Cornwall Royals. Now the Cornwall Royals had just won two Memorial Cups out of the Quebec League with Dale Howarchuk, and this is their first year in the Ontario League, and I was the uh, Cornwall Royal first round pick, huh? and I was in Toronto. I was in Toronto. I went down to the table. And because the Cornwall Royals had won two Memorial Cups, the chief scout of the team was a guy named Gordy Woods. And he was like the sage of junior hockey because the architect of two Memorial right. Cup winning sure. teams. And uh, But Gordy never sat with any of the other scouts. You could go to a hockey game and see the scouts kind of sitting yeah. together and yeah. uh, communicating. Gordy always sat out on his own. Didn't share any of his notes with anybody else. So I go down to the, to the table. I meet everybody. And the coach was a guy named Bob Kilger. Bob is a former NHL referee. Sure. His son, yeah. Chad, played in the, in the league. And um, and Bob has a very dry sense of humor. And I love Bob. I love Bob. But he said to Gordy, he said, Gordy, this is 1981. He said, I know this is the international year of the handicap. Oh, but, but aren't we taking this a little too far? Oh, and Gordy looked at him and said, what are you, what are you talking about? And he said, look at his ears. And Gordy saw my hearing aids for the very first time. Oh. And I thought I, he turned white. His mouth dropped open. He, he had no clue wow. that I wore hearing aids. Wow. And uh, I think that's a really cool story because he just judged me for what yeah. he saw on the yeah. ice. Sure. He didn't have any preconceived notions of what I could or couldn't do based on a disability. Right. He just judged me on, as like like he did every other player, and I think because he didn't have what I call a false filter, yeah, uh, you know, I was ended up I ended up being selected by Cornwall, and I think all the other scouts knew, and I was rated in the first round anyways, and Ottawa had the next pick, and and I thought maybe I'd get picked by the Ottawa 67s with right. Brian Kilway, but you know Cornwall ended up picking me, and and it actually worked out really really well for me. I was ended up being the first round pick to the Jets the following year. Wow. wow, very good. So how many years did you play of junior? I played a year and a half, more or oh. less. Oh, okay. 
Wow. Yeah. So I started in, uh, I was in Winnipeg the first year. I was up and down at the beginning of the year and then went back to junior. I mean, my, my first year junior and then my second year junior, I was up and down. And then uh, um, uh, as a 19-year-old, I was full-time with the Jets. Right. So when you started off, were you a defenseman when you started? Yes, I was. Okay, good. Now, your fighting career was pretty extensive. Uh, when did you start fighting? How old were you? I started fighting my uh, older brother. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm uh the second, I have an older brother, an older sister, and then there's four boys. And uh, so I have an older brother who's three, three years older than I am. And uh, so it always happened where we'd all be watching TV. My brother would come in and try to start changing the channel and wanting to watch what he wanted. And we said, hey, what's going on? Go get him, Jimmy. And they oh, really? pushed me out. Well, kind of, kind of. <laughs> so my brother, my brother and I... Uh, I learned how to defend myself against my older brother. We get along famously today. Everything's great. But back back when, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, my parents were not upset to see me moved out of the house when I was 15 years of age. I got, (laughs) uh, I played with the Hawkesbury Hawks, which is about an hour outside of Ottawa. And um, they weren't upset to see me move at that point. (laughs) Get out. Get out. But in junior, in junior hockey, like I'm a tall guy, I'm six foot five. And, um, I think there's an expectation that uh, if you're a tall player, a big guy, that you defend your teammates. There's not the, that many players that I that I saw. Maybe Willie Huber, one of your former teammates. Yep. Yep. You know, he was a big offensive defenseman. Yeah. But he was a bit of a gentle giant too. Yep. Yes, he was. So yeah. So I didn't have the offensive skills like a, a Willie Huber. Uh, so uh, you know, I certainly was a t- tough. Hard-nosed defenseman. You stood in front of my net. It was a high rent zone. You had to pay the price. And if you didn't like it, well, too bad. Right? And uh, and so you learned to defend yourself and also starting to defend your teammates. In Winnipeg, I was a bit of a lone ranger in a sense that we didn't have an enforcer up front to right. protect Dale. Now, we had Paul McLean play with Winnipeg, yep. who played with Dale. And you know, Paul was a great player, you know, a goal scorer and so forth. But he... He looked like he uh, was a, he's a pretty burly guy with the big yeah. mustache. Yeah. He looked like he was a pretty mean customer. So not many guys don't like to fool around uh, right. with, with Mac on the, on, on the ice. So, right. But I started, uh, I started fighting in junior, and um, I didn't fight at all until one game. I was playing the Belleville Bulls, and somebody uh, came after me, and uh, I basically – I basically got in three fights in one game, and uh, I did. I've been very successful, and yeah. uh, that kind of uh, springboarded me into uh, getting a reputation in the league. Sure. Now, did your brothers yeah. play hockey as well? All my brothers played hockey, but uh, none of them at the at the level that I did. My brother Murray played junior, but my brother, older brother John, was a was a rower. He played oh. was a nationally ranked rower. My sister was a nationally ranked heptathlete, which is seven events in track and field. Wow. I played hockey. My brother Murray played hockey. My brother uh, Rob was a uh, scrum half in rugby for Ontario, and my brother Frame was a national cross champion. So we wow. all had our own different sports. A very athletic family. Wow! Yeah. And you got your stubbornness from your mother. It sounds like. Well, from my mum. For my mom, uh, she advocated um, for us to be involved in the community and in, in, in school. But my dad was the athlete in the family. And so he never, uh, he just said, I don't, like, I'll drive you to kingdom come. 
Yeah. But if you if I'm going to drive you everywhere, you better show up and be ready. You know, be prepared right. to, to work to work hard. I don't have a problem with that. But I no no nights off. No yeah. nights off. You had to show up and be prepared. That is, that's the great parenting right there, right? That he says, listen, it's your thing. If you want to do it, I'll get you there, but you have to go out and do the job, right? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And even with my own boys, like, uh, like I'll support them in any way. They, I have like the 28, 29 right now, but, but uh, same, same sort of thing. A lot of, a lot of parents want to be best friends with their kids. Yeah. yeah. Right. But it's our job as parents to prepare them for the world. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you, uh, you have to be, you have to have certain standards and have certain demands and uh, it, it can't be a free for all. And you can't, it's a lot of parents want to fight the fight for the kids, right? And let, let, instead of letting their kids fight their own fight. Yeah. There's a, there's a, you've heard of helicopter parents. Yeah. There's a, there's a term I heard a couple of years ago called a snowplow parent. A snowplow <laughs> parent. I don't know <laughs> they, if I've heard that. Yeah. It's, it, it, it removes, the parent removes all the obstacles for their children. Oh, oh okay. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. So a Canadian, a, a snowplow parent move, removes everything, finds from their jobs and right. might make sure that they, that uh, everything is done for them. And so, and, but I think they're just setting them up for failure when they get older and the, the parents aren't there and they don't have any resilience. Right. So what are the all time tough guys in the national hockey league? He's a guy by the name of Dave Brown. You and Dave yes. Brown, you guys knew each other very well. On the ice. Yeah, we did. Yeah, Brownie and I uh, uh, tussled one, two, three, four, four or five times. Four or five times, yeah. Yeah, four or five. No, five times. Five yeah. times. And uh, Brownie, uh, he and I ended up becoming teammates in San Jose. Oh, is that right? Oh, okay. Yeah, how'd yeah. That, how'd that go? You guys are buddies? Yeah. Oh, great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Yes. Well, on the ice, I, I would think, you know, there's a lot of enforcers that there. Yeah. And I thought Dave Brown was one of the best enforcers of all time. Yeah. Uh, he was very intimidating. Yeah. And uh, he knew his job. And uh, my impression was he just loved to fight. Yeah. And he was just itching for an excuse to do it. And uh, he was very effective at his job. He yes, protected he his teammates and he certainly intimidated other other. Yeah. Other teams. And I'll tell you a story. Yep. Um, so my very first game against Brownie, it's a bit of a long story. Do That's we have fun. time? We have lots of time. Okay. So we go into Pittsburgh, in, into Philly and, you know, you read the game reports, you know, the press releases beforehand and they said, oh my God, okay, who's this guy? New guy, played in the American League last year, over 400 minutes in penalties, guy named Dave Brown, six foot five, so I said, and he had, uh, I don't know how many penalty minutes in the few games that he played. So obviously he was going to be someone I would have to contend with. Sure. And uh, so I go to Rick Bonus. Rick Bonus is the assistant coach from Winnipeg. And I said, Bones, what's the story on this Dave Brown guy? And he goes, oh, Barney, he's, uh, he fought a guy named Steve Fletcher last year in Sherbrooke. Uh, he's all right. He's just a right-handed fighter. He likes to stand <laughs> up and fight right. I said, okay, great. Thanks for the, thanks for oh, the scouting report. The game starts, the, the warm-up starts, and Brownie doesn't even take a shot on the net. He just skates around in the middle and oh, just yeah. stares down everybody, right? And I ended up locking eyes with him. And it was, sure enough, it was just a matter of time that we were yeah. going to drop the gloves. Yeah. And because uh, I was my third year in the league at that point, second or third year in the league, and I had had a bit of a reputation already. And uh, so Brownie was certainly going to want to uh, sure. establish himself against me. 
So uh, sure enough, I, uh, we're, we're playing, and then I, I look up, and there's Brownie waiting at the top of the circles for me. The play's going the other way, and I just remember the, the, the voice of my father in my head saying, whatever you do, get the first one in. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So sure, I, I'm doing really well. Next thing you know, it's raining left-handed punches. <laughs> so what the heck is going on? And uh, so I do a quick adjustment and so forth. We fall to the ice. But my first couple of punches did some damage to, to him. Oh. And uh, I, I understand at least that, you know, some, something in his mouth. And so he ended up going to the, to the, uh, to the dressing room. But I knew, okay, the He's game back. is early. He'll be yeah. back, yeah. particularly in Philly. So th in the third period, we, get, we, we tussle again. Doesn't want to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe like we did, probably because his mouth is tender, but just the way it happened. We both fall to the ice, and I had John D'Amico on top of me. Okay. And, John, and I said, hey, Johnny, how's it going? But I'm watching <laughs> Brownie. Brownie has the eyes rolling in the back of his head. He's going crazy. And from my perception, I see his eyes look at my hand on the ice. And he stomps with his, hand, with his foot towards really? my hand. Wow. Right. And the, the ice chips fly. And I thought, oh, my God, like this guy's not just trying to beat me up. Wow. He's trying he's trying to maim me. Yeah. Right? He's really trying to hurt me. And that I'd never experienced that before. Sure. I made the mistake of looking at the schedule after the game. And I yeah. saw, oh, we're playing Philadelphia in six weeks time back in Winnipeg. Right. For six weeks. I had nightmares about Dave Barrett. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I woke up in the middle of the night, my, 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 my fists clenched, my teeth clenched, sweating, and fighting Dave Brown in my sleep. Yeah. And I'd never, ever, before or since, had a player like that get into my, my, yeah. my mind. And um, so I remember simply Winnipeg stayed in Windsor when we played Detroit. Oh. I'm playing, I'm playing Joey, Joey Kosher and Bob Probert that night. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But I had a nightmare about Dave Brown. <laughs> you know, I, that, I said, this doesn't make any sense. I should be oh, talking, okay. thinking about Joey and Proby. Oh. Anyways, the, the game comes around and it just time just goes slower and slower and slower. I've never ever thrown up before a game. Oh. But that never ever, but that game I threw up before the game. Wow. I needed to face my demon. I needed right. to get him out of my head. Just had to go up to him. So sure enough, he's on the ice. I call, I make the change. I call the defenseman off. Brownie's starting standing in front of me. I give him a shot. Doesn't do anything. Doesn't turn around. Puck comes from the point. Give him another shot. Goalie covers up. He skates away. Really? So yeah. Wow. So we go to the face-off circle. And I'm ready to jump out of my skin. Right? Yeah. And I just look at him. And because of my, my hearing impairment, I didn't do a lot of talking on the ice. Right. Right. I didn't do any a lot of talking. It was just more by verbal, by body language and so forth. But I'm looking at him and I say to him, are we going tonight? And he turns to me quite calmly. And he said, not tonight. My mom's in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what? I had to, my mom said so Barney's from Saskatoon yeah and his parents had driven in eight or nine hours from Saskatoon into oh. Winnipeg and it was his mom's uh watching her first live NHL game with wow. him in the league and he didn't want to fight in front of him I, I have never heard that before I've never heard a player <laughs> no, say and that. I haven't I, and I haven't heard that told that story often and I wow. asked Brownie about it and he said he doesn't remember anything about it 
oh. uh, when we played in San Jose. So, but for me, that was a real experience for me because I just had this whole piano lift off oh, my yeah. back. Sure. I, I faced my demon and he turned me down. Type wow, there you go. There you go. Yeah. 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 But we ended up fighting a few more times in our career. Right. And, uh, but uh, he, uh, you know, he was a bit, he's 6'5", I'm 6'5". He yeah. was a lefty, I was a righty. And uh, yeah, we had some good battles. They were good battles, yeah. I, I remember watching those too. A couple of Dave, Dave Brown stories where we were in a preseason game when I was with the Rangers and we were in Philadelphia. And uh, somehow I decided I was going to fight him. I don't know what I was thinking about. It was a preseason game. So he, he, I could tell he was taking it easy on me. And then I, for, I lost my mind. I tried to sucker him right at the end of the fight. And we get over to the penalty box after in Philadelphia. And he says, Tommy, what are you doing? I took it easy on you. And I, Dave, I said, Dave, I don't know what the hell I'm thinking about. And uh, so, but every time we would play Philadelphia with the Rangers, he hated the Rangers. So he'd line up, he'd run and just hurt everybody. You know, he crossed Jeff Thomas Sandstrom in the head and got a 10 game suspension, all that. So that's what I knew of Dave Brown. Then when I got traded out to Los Angeles, one of our first trips was back to Philadelphia on the East Coast. He lines up beside me on a face-off, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Something's going to happen. And he leans over to me, and he goes, hey, Tommy, how are you doing? How do you like L.A.? Like, he was the nicest guy on the planet. And like you said, I've seen him since then when I was in the agent business, and he was a he was a scout. Just a fantastic guy, but he was that animal on the ice, right? Oh, yeah, on the ice. Uh, I, th I find most – like. On the ice, it's business. Yeah, totally. It's all business. And then off the ice, I'll have a beer. Like, I've had beers with Marty McSorley uh, after oh. a game, after, after scrapping him during the game. Yeah. Right? Like, there, there's, that, there's that respect. Yeah, totally. So, on the ice, you, you need to take care of business and you, you, uh, be very professional. And then off the ice, it's the same sort of story. But most of the guys that I find, uh, uh, there might have been a few arseholes off the ice. But for yeah. the most part, it was, uh, everybody's a good guy. Yeah, I'm with you. I fought Marty when he first started in Pittsburgh and I was with the Rangers and then we played together in Los Angeles. And yeah, I have a total respect for him. Uh, he just like when he, when he first started, he could not play the game at all. So he had to fight all the time and he turned himself into a really good player and still continued to fight and stick up for his teammates. So total respect for him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app.
That's all one word, broom gate. So one of our co-teammates, one guy that we played with together, you played with him in Winnipeg and I had him with LA, Timmy Waters. Great Mighty. guy, right? Yeah. yeah, great guy. Uh, he, uh, I'm sure Gresk was very happy to have him on his team rather yes. than against him because yeah. he was like he was like uh, tacky glue all over, over <laughs> all over Gresk when he was playing. He was a very uh, irritable guy to play against, but yeah. uh, great guy. Yeah, great definitely. guy. Tom yeah. recently uh, they unveiled a statue of uh, Dale Howardchuk in Winnipeg. Oh, that's right. Uh, outside the MTS Center, and uh, Muddy came in with his wife, and oh. uh, it was great to catch up with him. I haven't seen him in a little while, and yeah, uh, actually, the last time I saw him was in the outdoor game Winnipeg played Edmonton. Oh, that's right, in the, in the Heritage Classic back in 2016, right. and uh, yeah, he's doing great, and he's he's a great guy. Yes, he is. So, okay, so uh, two part question here: Who's the uh, what's the best fight you've ever had from your regard, from your side, and what's the worst fight you've ever had? Oh, well, the best fight, uh, well, I've knocked a few guys out, but there's uh, the best fight, I think, it kind of put me on the map was I had a, I had a, I had a tilt with Gordy Kluzak. Oh. And, uh, you know, he's a big six foot five guy playing for Boston. Yeah. We were both drafted. He was the first pick overall, and I was 12th overall in our year. And uh, the, Boston would put him in front of the net oh. on their power play, oh. on the power play, right? And uh, so he was clearing out guy, our defenseman in front of the net. And uh, and I yelled something from the bench, and Barry Long said, "Okay, Kaido, let's see what you can do about it." Oh, and so I knocked him down a couple of times, and they're on the power play. Like I say, you say, you got to pay the price and stand in front of the net. Maybe sure. not so much today. Yeah, not so much today, but in our era, you really needed to pay the price. Yes, and uh, he didn't like it. And next thing you know, uh, the tango was on, and we had a, a great tilt going back and forth, back and forth. It was on Hockey Night in Canada. Don Whitman made the call, and uh, yeah, so. It was uh, it was a big scrap and it kind of and I, I ended up I'd say I, I ended up winning on points for sure. There you go. I but, saw the fight. Yes, yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then uh, the worst fight I think. Well, uh, I got knocked out by Joey Kosher. Oh, yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah, so he was, he was we're playing. Scary, he was a scary man, though. Right. I mean, he had oh, that yeah. right hand. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Joey. Uh, it was the third time. I first time I fought him. I, 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 I definitely was a victor in the, in our first fight. Second fight was a wrestling match. We we should we should have got roughing penalties, not majors. Right. But the third fight, I cross checked Stevie Y right in front oh. of the Detroit bench. Yeah, yeah. And Stevie's from uh, grew up in Ottawa, and we played yeah. summer hockey, so I knew him. It was just the way right. he turned, and I got him in the ribs. And then sure enough, I just you know Joey came out after me and. Uh, just the way it all got set up, and I saw this big haymaker coming over the top, and yes. put my head down to try to try to take. I couldn't get out of the way of it, so I put my head down. And that's the last thing I remember. He uh, put a three inch he put a three inch crack in my helmet with his bare hand. Is that right? Eh? Wow. Yeah. If he, if he would have hit me in the face, he would have broke yeah. my jaw, my cheekbone, yeah. everything yeah. else. So uh, I just that's the first time I'd been knocked down, let alone knocked out. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and. Oh. Um, the uh, so that would be uh, the, the the worst part of the fight was uh, uh, I got I got knocked out. The actual trainer from Detroit jumped over the bench to get me. That's how bad you know yeah. before before the Winnipeg trainer was there. Sure. And uh, anyways, I came to I, I got up and they weren't hanging on to me at all. Oh. And I went. I looked up at the at the clock. Remember, it was five oh one in the third period. And I was skating and I hit a rut in the ice. Oh. And I went, right back down again. So it made it look really, really bad. 
but uh, you know, Joey's a Joey, another guy, great guy yeah. Uh, yeah. off the ice. But uh, you know, business is business, and uh, he nailed me. Yeah. But I, I kind of joked that I won the fight because <laughs> I played the very next night in St. Louis. Right. The very next night in St. Louis, we yeah. played. Yeah. And Joey was out with two weeks for two weeks with a bad hand. So. Right hand, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the positive. That's how to look at the positive side of it, right? Yeah. yeah, but but if you look, you know, today if I would have got knocked, I wouldn't oh, see yeah. the ice for six weeks. Yeah, I totally. wouldn't see the ice for six weeks, and I had a headache. I had a headache for about a month after that fight. I didn't fight anybody else during that time, and I was on the bench. And the coach comes to you and says, "Kaida, can you play?" Yeah, and and. You say, yeah, coach, I can play. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. Just, it's just in our DNA. It, yeah. So someone with a, who's been knocked out like that or certain with a brain injury shouldn't be making the decisions where they yeah, should go back. 100%. And, that, so. and, and nobody made us play. I was the same way. I got knocked out by Bob Nystrom <laughs> in the playoffs. I spent the night in the hospital, came out and played the next day. And nobody made me play. That was just the culture back then. There was no broken bones. Yeah, we had a headache. Yep. We just went and played. Yeah, yeah totally. So, Jim, we've talked a lot about your fighting, but you had a, how many years did you end up playing in the National Hockey League? I was uh, parts of thirteen seasons. I'd right. say twelve seasons altogether. But uh, I was I was with Ottawa for a cup of coffee. Sorry. I was uh, I broke my ankle at my uh, year last year in Calgary, and um, I signed with Ottawa as a free agent their very first year. And uh, my ankle wasn't ready. I still have two pins in my ankle today, but wasn't ready at the beginning of the year. And I spent most of the year at New Haven. I oh. think that's where you spent a little time. Did you? That's not? where I started my career. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I, I played with the New Haven Senators for most of the year, but I got called up when I ended up playing four games with the Sens. But I'm born and raised in Ottawa, so it was a bit of, a bit bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I was here for a cup of coffee, and uh, but I'm still considered a Sens alumni. There you go. And, and sure. you know, like I said, <clears throat> you're you're known for your fighting. We've talked a lot about your fighting, but you were a really good hockey player too, like especially that defensive defenseman, right? Well, that's what I uh, like. Fighting is something that I did, but you don't get to play. Uh, like in Winnipeg, we had the uh, number one defense uh, penalty killing unit in the league mm-hmm. with uh, Dougie Smale, Ronnie Wilson up front, Mario Marois, and myself on the back end. We had the number one penalty killing unit in the league at the, uh, for a couple of years. And uh, so, yeah, I was the defensive defenseman. I played anywhere from, I was never a top. One and two guys. Those are the offensive guys. But I certainly, certainly a top three, anywhere to a top eight, uh, and whatever teams I played for. And you want you want to make sure that the number one that the team is doing the best they can. And uh, whether I was in the lineup or whether I was out of the lineup, I wanted to make sure I was ready to play and contribute in any way I could. Sure. So your career ended in Ottawa. That was your last season. No, no. I left. Uh, I left Ottawa and I signed in Las Vegas. I played with the Las Vegas Thunder in the International League. They had a brand new team there. There's a 17 year old kid named Maddox Bonk. Was that's right. You know, right. was Bob Strum the GM there? Bob Strum. Bobby Strum was that's the right. GM. So he yeah. he remembers me from being at West. And uh, Clint Malarchuk was our goalie, and Pokey Reddick were you know were the two goalies. We had the best record in pro hockey, and uh, we had a great team. Yeah. And then we um, the next. The next year was the lockout in the NHL. Okay. When the lockout ended, San Jose came calling. Oh, yeah. And I signed with the Sharks, and I played with uh, the Sharks for the lockout season in the following season. Yeah. And then after that, I went to Kansas City, and I and that's where my career was ended. I, uh, was, my career was ended by a car accident. I was a victim of a car accident. A car oh. ran a stop sign, T-boned me. My car flipped three times, and I woke up with the fire department cutting me out of the car. Really? Did you get injured? That was there? it. Yeah, so so uh, I, um, 
it, so I ended up with severe post-concussion syndrome. I didn't break oh. anything in the accident. I didn't oh. break anything. I got right on the driver's door. And usually you break things in a car accident, I'm told, when you see it happening. And people tense up. Oh. And and uh, I didn't see it happen. She just came right out of the, right out of the blue. Oh. But the passenger seat headrest was twisted almost 200 degrees. And they think my head hit the headrest. I'm a big guy, so the seat was back. Sure. And uh, so uh, I had severe post-concussion for about, I was a, I had three young children at the time and I was like the fourth kid on the couch for two years. Oh, really? Yeah. And how are, how are you now? I'm doing good. I've, I've had a few health challenges, but uh, um, uh, I started getting back into doing a lot. I went and did a lot of writing oh. as part of my rehab. Uh, I, I was I was thinking about doing some radio stuff and so forth, but you know, just being able to hear was number one. And also, I was screwing up my words. I'd oh. say things backwards and so forth. I'd slur my words. Um, so that was part of the car accident. So um, I ended up writing an article, uh, a column for the Ottawa Citizen for four years. Oh, yeah, it was called The Point Man. And uh, it was, I, wrote, I wrote about stuff during the hockey season until the uh, Stanley Cup was awarded uh, from anyway, from the NHL to outdoor shinny hockey. Wow, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, but it was a learning experience. I remember the first time I was writing, they said you got between eight and 900 words maximum. And I said, okay. So the first time I'm, I'm writing away, writing away. And I hadn't made my point yet. And I look oh. at word. I, I look at the word count, and I'm at 1,600 words. Oh, is that right? Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! So I, you, you learn, you sure. learn uh, quickly about whittling things down to what it says. So I had a newfound respect for columnists. Not so much the beat writers, because they just reported, but the columnists who come up with two, uh, three or four things a week. Right. An opinion that certain I only had to do it once a week, and uh, that was a real challenge. But the the columnists out there, uh, those sport columnists, sure. I have newfound respect for them for sure. Very good. So, and you've got three sons. Yeah, I have two boys uh, that are twins. I got okay. I got married May tenth, nineteen ninety three. Yeah. My twin boys were born May tenth, nineteen ninety four. There you go. My son Owen was born May tenth, nineteen ninety five. So I never forget my anniversary. Uh, so I'm coming up on thirty years marriage this year. My, oh. So my my boys will be twenty nine. My twins oh. and my my youngest one will be twenty eight. So what do you do on May tenth then? What do you is it one big party or what? Yeah, one big party, and sometimes May tenth is Mother's Day too. So it's oh. kind of screw things up. That's right. So it's really a birthday, and then on Father's Day we celebrate Parents Day. Wow. Okay. So, so that, yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard that before where everybody's on May 10th, right? The, the wedding and the... You know, the no, and then, and then Bobby Orr scoring his big goal flying through the air is May 10th, 1970. Is that right? That, I didn't yeah. know that. That's cool. Yeah. So is, is that your... Are you doing writing now? Is your career or what are you doing? No. So uh, I, wrote, I wrote for a little while and then I, I do corporate speaking. And uh, the dean of the School of Business at Algonquin College here in Ottawa heard me speak. And he approached me afterwards and said, I have an idea for a new program in, in sport, the business of sport. Right. And he asked me if I would be on the advisory committee for it. So fast forward things. Uh, I ended up uh, spearheading the creation of a graduate program in sport business management at Algonquin College right. back in 2001. And uh, I'd never taught before. I had never developed a program before, but I just dove right in and learned as much as I could. 
hired some really good people to support me. And uh, we launched the program. It's been very successful. So I taught in the program from 2001 to 2007. And then when I went into management and uh, for the last since 2014, I've been the dean of the School of Hospitality and Tourism at Algonquin College in Ottawa. Wow. So yeah. do, I ha- do I have to call you dean then? Is that your? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what people do. I think it's, you know, it's just call me Jim. You know, and don't call me Mr. That's my father. Okay. And uh, yeah, just I just go by Jim and uh, everything's good. Wow. You don't that's like. Yeah. Jim, I got to tell you, your, your life has been fascinating, really. Right. I mean, it's almost you're hearing impaired, but it's almost like in some ways helped you, driven you farther to do more things, right? And your mother seems like she was a big part of that as well. Oh, yeah. My mother was incredible. Uh, the way she, dinner at our house went from four o'clock in the afternoon to eight o'clock at night because kids were coming in and out going to, uh, they were going to play hockey or they're going to play whatever sport they were doing, my dad would pick people up and then drop them off and pick somebody else up and go out. So she was the real anchor at home. And uh, when the kids got a little bit older, she went back uh, into the workforce. And uh, yeah, so she, she uh, very um, grounding, foundational. And uh, I'm very lucky uh, that I've had that I had two parents that uh, I grew up in a in a in a household that was very loving and demanding, but loving. And uh, and I know there's a lot of kids out there that, you know, they they, uh, one single parent or they don't have any you know orphans and so forth. So Mm -hmm. when I look back on it, I've been very, very fortunate. Yeah. Now, is your father still alive? My dad passed away, but my mom's still alive. Okay. Yeah. She's 86 now. Is that what you said? She's 86. My dad passed away about 25 years ago. Oh, okay. So. Sorry to hear that. Good. Yeah. So she's still going strong at 86, still the same woman? Oh, she's still going strong. She We just moved her into a retirement home. Uh, oh. She didn't want to go, but uh, she's starting to lose her vision a little bit. So right. we thought that, but it was really, with COVID, it's been really tough because, you know, from a social perspective, uh, everybody was... Uh, um, no, she was by herself. You couldn't visit her a lot. And right. so I think right. just, just the whole idea, like retirement homes these days, are they're like cruise ships that don't go oh. anywhere. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. There's so many activities that are going on. She's not in a nursing home. She's in an active living uh, yeah. retirement okay. home. So she's very, you know, they have uh, happy hours and they have bridge oh. games. and they, Oh, yeah. She's having a grand time. That's good. Isn't it amazing, right? Same thing with my parents. I grew up on a farm right outside of Toronto. And yeah. growing up, I don't think I realized how much they affected my life in a positive way. And it seems like it was the same thing with, with your parents, where mine were more, it, well, not more, they were, it was, you know, like, okay, Tom, this is your dream. If you want to f- pursue your dream, you go pursue the dream. We just won't get in your way. We'll just make sure you get to the rank all down. So it is amazing how parents can really make a difference in your life. Yeah, yeah well, you, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, you grew up in a dairy farm. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, so uh, that's uh, you had your chores to do, and you had yeah. to get out. Yeah. Marty McSorley grew up with uh, yeah. them, you know, they're, totally. they're all the guys out west. They're all, they're all uh, hay farmers, or so yeah. the guys that come from the the, the the salt of the earth and the you know hard work is there. Yeah, is there? And their is that is that consistency team? It seems like that's with your career as well, with not just your career, but even after your playing career. For me, that's the way it was. I was never the best player on any team I was on when I was in the agent business. I had success more just because I showed up every day. And that's what you get from your parents, right? They just show up every day and do the work. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You put it in and, 
well, the the harder you work, the luckier you get. They yeah. say so. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, if you don't put the pers- you don't put the work in. There's only there's only so much skill can get you so far. Right. Right. And it's it's uh, it's that country. It's that uh, well, you call it grit. I, yeah. I you know, that grit that you need to have yeah. in order to be successful. And you need to work hard and. You need to be able to, as I said during my five P thing, is it's, it's really a, a lot of line to uh, to being gritty, is that perseverance and believing in yourself yeah, when no totally. one else will. Yeah, totally. Isn't that true? You got to believe in yourself, especially if you're going to reach like what you went through to get to the National Hockey League. You really had to believe in yourself a lot, right? Well, yeah, and I know that there was a study done that back in 2002, and uh, you probably talked about this before about the following the 1975 birth year. Yep. And um, there are 30,000 kids in Ontario who played minor hockey. Of those 30,000, 48 ended up getting drafted in the National Hockey League. 39 signed a contract. Uh, 15 actually played in one NHL game. right? And six, no, no, 32 played in one, one NHL game. 15 played the equivalent of one season. And only six players played uh over 400 games is that right out of that out of that one draft year and uh so it was like 0.0003 percent of a chance of playing out of 30,000 kids six guys had careers and uh so the chances of playing the national hockey league is uh yeah you know a snowball's chance in hell almost and uh the fact that we were able to get there and play and stay there when everybody else is trying to knock you off your perch or you know take your spot it's very competitive you had to play every game you can only get you can only you can rest on your laurels and uh particularly guys in our type of role yeah um you have to perform every day and uh yeah it had I, i i've you know, I, I broke my back. I pinned to my ankle. I had a knee replacement. Sure. Um, I like. I'm I'm a bit beat up, but I wouldn't yeah. change it for I know. for anything. Yeah, you do it twice, right? Do the same thing, do it harder. Oh, right? I, oh, yeah. yeah. When people talk about, you know, there's some players. Oh, you know, I wish I knew what I was feeling today. I wouldn't, you know, I might not have done it again. I say, full bullshit. Yeah. I say. I would do it over again if given yeah. a chance, knowing yeah. how I feel today and the things yeah. that I've gone through. It's totally. an experience you can't buy. Yeah, and it would probably do it harder, right? Like that's one regret I look back on. Geez, I had a, I was proud of myself and everything, but geez, I'd like to do it again, do it harder. Okay, so listen, so uh, good night, Jim Kite. You know, people yeah. still, talk, they still talk about that now. They still use that as a hockey phrase. Yeah, uh, I still. It's kind of died down a little bit, but uh, certainly uh, Paul Bizanet is the one that kind of brought it forward. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, oh. Yeah, Paul Bisnett was being interviewed at a, the All Star Game, and he brought it up, and uh, you know, he's talking about uh, drinking with some women and pouring vodka down their throat, something along those lines. And then it was good night, Jim Kite. So it turned it turned out into the turned into this whole drinking thing, and people oh. were sending me memes of uh, getting people passed out everywhere, and they were calling <laughs> it good night, Jim Kite. So that's funny. It kind of took a turn. That I wasn't anticipating, but uh, yeah, you know, all those nicknames, you know. Uh, Your boys must love that, right? That they've got that going on. With oh, you. yeah. Well, I yeah. ran into some kids and they said, Oh my God, you're a good night, Jim Kite. You can't, yeah. you know, you're not the, the good night, Jim Kite. And they want to take photos with me. So I should have t shirt made that. T-shirt, T-shirts yeah. made that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So any regrets at all in your life or your career? Any regrets? Yes. Uh, other than losing losing to Joey Kosher, and <laughs> no, uh, well, I guess 
as, as an NHL player, um, I, 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 I'll be very honest. I'm very envious of those who have won Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, I, there's, you could be like a Gilbert Perot, or you, a Dale Havlicek and so forth, be in, uh, in the hall of fame and not, and, and uh, not win a Stanley Cup. Sure. And if, if, if I hear a player say, you know, I had a great career, but I'm okay with not winning a Stanley Cup. Either they play for the wrong reasons, yeah, or they're li- or they're lying through oh. through their false teeth, right? Oh, so, yeah. so it, it, when you go to these alumni events and uh, guys are wearing their Stanley Cup rings and so yeah. forth, yeah, I, you know, it, it does it does irritate me, but yeah. that I didn't win one, and yeah. so uh, yeah, so that's being honest. Um, yep. And then, uh, other than that, no regrets at all. Yeah, I, no I, look at you, I don't think you've got many regrets at all. It's funny you say that about the rings because uh, Glenn Anderson is an alumni ranger, or a ranger yes. alumni, so I see him in a lot of events. And when he goes to the events, he's always got at least one of those rings on. And you're looking, oh god, yeah, that'd be nice to have. Yeah, one. yeah, that yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, you had uh, you had retired before the, the Rangers ended up winning in '96. Yes, '94, '94. <laughs> Yeah. Excuse me. Yes, I had gotten traded in 86, 87 at uh, trade deadline yeah. uh, for Marcel Dion. And then uh, so they, they won in 94. I think I was I was done with the game and I was uh, living out in L.A., I think it was. You know, and I was watching this, this series. There was a party. Probably the half was like really jealous that you didn't we didn't get to win. And the other right. part was like, man, that's got to be cool to win in Manhattan, right? Like to win in New oh, York City. Sure. And afraid, yeah, it was pretty good. I for heard sure. some stories. Guys tell some stories now about what it was like. Hey, just real quick, going back, were you at your draft day when you drafted by Winnipeg? Were you at the draft? I was, yeah. Oh, okay. I was. It was in Montreal Forum, okay. uh, and uh, Winnipeg was the only team that actually flew me out beforehand. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you did it with the with the Rangers or not. I, Craig Patrick was the general manager of the Rangers, and he made me fill out a uh, psychological profile. Oh, wow. I had like five or 600 questions I had to answer right. for the Rangers. Right. And, uh, and it was just all these different different questions. Do you drink alcohol? Do you drink a little bit? You know, they were peppered all the way through. But one of the questions I vividly remember was, uh, uh, "Have you read Alice in Wonderland?" <laughs> so that's kind of a weird question. Yeah. Uh, can Can you control the flow of your urine? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Was, these are some of the questions. Oh, well, that's funny. So, anyways, I ended up uh, the Jets had the pick before the Rangers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, so I was happy to be picked by by Winnipeg, right? Because uh, they had made had a, uh, a uh, relationship with me before the draft. Okay. But I went up to Craig Patrick afterwards and uh, at, at the draft, I said, well, "What whatever happened with the, with the results of that thing?" And I said, "Oh, we get this this profile and the player and everything." And he didn't we didn't really get into it, but I just right. thought it was unusual. But they were doing a psychological profile yeah. on all the players, and I thought that was one way of getting to know the player a little bit more and whether, you know, so let's get on that. Have you ever dreamed of being a pro hockey player, skating on the same professional ice as your hockey heroes? Hockey XP gives you that chance. Join us and live your pro hockey dream for one night. A Hockey XP event gives you the full professional experience. A ticket to an NHL game, a chance to network with other hockey enthusiasts, meet new teammates and make new connections, an event-themed jersey and a swag bag full of sponsored gifts. You'll dress in pro locker rooms and sit on pro benches. 
and you'll play a full game on professional ice with professional referees. Join us Tuesday, March 28th at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia or Thursday, April 6th at the UBS Arena on Long Island for a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Spots are selling out fast. Go to HockeyXP.com to register. So what's next for you then? Geez, you're doing a lot of stuff. The, the Dean, uh, anything else you got planned? Well, I, I, I just had open heart surgery not too long ago. So wow. yeah, so I'm recovering from that. And uh, so things are good. I'm, I'm 58. And uh, I don't know. I think I have another adventure left in me. I'm not oh, exactly absolutely. sure what it's going to be. But yeah. uh, I always uh, had plans to maybe retire when I was 60. But uh, I've been off work for a little bit. And I, I don't really like uh, not working. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know what the future holds just yet. But I know whatever it is, I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, I got to tell you, I didn't know all. I knew you had a hearing problem. I didn't know how bad it was. Uh, I didn't know all the stuff you've done after the game. I didn't know what the car accidents. Like, you've had a, a really, in some ways, good, in some ways, bad, a really full life, too, right? You, you really got a lot of your life. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think everybody has a full life. It's a matter of uh, seizing the opportunities that come along. And uh, I I had a, with Algonquin College, I had a window this big. And uh, I dove straight through. I said, this opportunity might not come along in a long way, in a long time. And I was given the opportunity. And... Uh, and anything, anybody with a disability, I, I do a lot of advocacy uh, about accessibility and inclusion. Right. And one of the things I talk about is, is, that, is that, which I mentioned earlier about these false filters. You see somebody in a, who, in a wheelchair or, you know, I have an invisible disability, particularly sure. today because it's so small. But if you know somebody has a disability, people automatically assume what they can and cannot do. Yeah, totally. And uh I was given an opportunity through Gordy Woods because he didn't know about my hearing impairment yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to actually play major junior. And I was able to, to, because I had that opportunity, I seized the opportunity. I was able to perform, sure. but there's a lot of people out there that aren't given that opportunity. And it's all about let them try, let them. And if they fail, let, so, sure. so be it. So be it. But people need to fail a lot. They need to build up those calluses, I call totally. it, those emotional calluses, those physical calluses, and uh, build up the resilience in their lives. Yeah. I, I've learned so much more about the mental health and everything, too, where, you know, or how your subconscious mind works. And, you know, like you said, like really learning that failing is actually a good thing, right? Because you learn from all your failures. Out. Absolutely. Yeah. There's uh, the, the saying, you, you win some, you learn some. Yeah. There you go. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't it is, work in the NHL, but uh it's certainly in life it works. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> does. Well, listen, like I said, I, I it's been an honor to have you on the show. Uh I'm so impressed by you and your life that you've led. You didn't let anything stop you no matter what it was. And it seemed like you're doing the same thing now. So uh very proud of you, brother. Well, thank you very much for having me, Tom. Uh, you've you've uh, you've been a warrior yourself, and uh, I love I love what you've been doing uh, after your career. Loved your I thought you deserved better on Survivor. <laughs> Survivor, there you go. <laughs> but it's awesome. It's awesome that you're on the and uh, you represented as well. I really felt like I was the first Canadian on the show, so I really felt like as the show got going, like I've got a real responsibility here. Like all the people in Canada are, are cheering for me. It was pretty funny, yeah. Good. Yeah, it was good. It All right, brother. Let's awesome. make sure we stay in touch here more, okay? So, uh, absolutely. Again, around. All right. Good talking. All right, man. Take, Take care. care. Wow, what an amazing story. Oh, uh, wow. I played against Jim, and uh, I knew obviously that he was, was or at least hearing impaired, but I, well, I didn't know how bad it was. Or, 
And I, what, I think he's a really intelligent man. Too. Well, just think about all the things he had to do to be an NHL player, yeah. and then he's got to make these systems where he's looking in the glass, yeah. he's, he's signaling yeah. the goaltender. On top of that, how many fights did you have in your career, Tom? Oh, do you I, know? Maybe about 20 or something. Well, actually, you had 18. It was 18, okay. You know how many fine. Jim had? I'm going to say it's got to be 75. 64 oh, fights. Really? Can you, uh, 64 they, they fights. were heavyweight fights, too. He didn't fight like small guys. No, you so. fought like Jan Ludwig. <laughs> he, he, I fought Larry Melnick. Well, all right, that's a tough yeah, one. But he's fighting Dave yeah. Brown and Tony Hunters, yeah. and you know, just an amazing story. And and the perseverance to keep going, like he had mentioned, you know, he didn't never treated a disability, just something he had yeah. to deal with. Totally. And his mother seemed like a fantastic person too. Like she wasn't gonna let him feel sorry for herself either. So yeah. Well, all, all moms, or well, hopefully all moms yeah. are, you know, especially yeah. hockey moms. You got some great stories. The story about him when he got drafted by the junior team, that's that's a good one. Yeah, unreal. Yeah. No one noticed, you know, it was it's an invisible disability, like you said. But that was a great episode. And yeah. uh yeah, so Good. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it, and we'll uh, be back with another one. All right, Grasshoppers, thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.